Appamada's programmes and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support really does make a huge difference. You'll find a link for contributions on the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. Thank you so much. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. I, this is a wonderful opportunity for me, and I'm really, I'm, I'm so pleased to be able to share this with you. Um, let me just see. I want to share screen if I can, and I can, so that's good. Okay, very good. <clears throat> All right. Well, um, so I want to present three cases <clears throat> from the uh, a new translation of the Blue Cliff Record. Uh, just came out a few months ago. It's by a person that's practiced in many different uh, types of Zen practice, um, and most recently through a Korean Zen teacher. He lives in Canada. His name is Matthew Juksan Sullivan. And um, he presents a new translation of the Blue Cliff Record, uh, the, uh, which is 100 cases that were compiled late in the Tang dynasty, in some cases, hundreds of years after the speakers uh, had passed away um, and um, have been a very important uh, teaching vehicle for various parts of Chan and Zen lineages ever since. And they're the central, one of the central texts for the Linji school, or which, which we know as the Rinzai school in, in Japanese, and <clears throat> extensively quoted by Dogen and used by, by Soto Zen teachers as well. Um, I really like this, this version of the, um, uh, of the Blue Cliff record, particularly compared with the older version by Thomas Cleary, where he presents a big overlay of commentary from uh, several centuries later, but that's in a highly poetic, highly evocative, and to me, very distracting style, uh, the commentaries that, that Thomas Cleary presents. So this is, this is a lot simpler <clears throat> and, and therefore a lot easier for me to get into. And I think will help me to go back to the Thomas Cleary version and understand that somewhat better later on. But you can see here is a case, or actually three cases, uh, the 70th case. I'm gonna read it and then we're gonna do our usual practice for Apamata and take turns reading parts uh, and seeing if we can inhabit who the, you know, the people who are, are speaking. Um, and I've got a twist that'll come at the end. So I hope you can stick around. Uh, so the 70th case, Bai Zhang fears for his heirs. Guishang, Wufang, and Yunyang, and I apologize, I'm no doubt saying all these names completely wrong, uh, attended together on Bai Zhang. Bai Zhang asked Guishang, with throat, lips, and mouth shut, how will you speak? Guishang said, for right now, master, I would ask you to speak. Bai Zhang said, I do not refuse to speak, but I'm afraid I'd become bereft of heirs. 
71st case, Bai Zhang searches the distance. Bai Zhang also asks Wu Fang, with throat, lips, and mouth shut, how will you speak? Wu Fang said, Master, you too should shut it. Bai Zhang said, in an empty land, I shade my eyes and search for you in the distance. 72nd case, Bai Zhang is bereft. Bai Zhang also said to Yun Yan, with throat, lips, and mouth shut, how will you speak? Yun Yan said, do or don't you have a way? Bai Zhang said, I am bereft of heirs. So <clears throat> two people say, Master, would you would you say something or you know, do you have a way to speak? Uh, uh, I would ask you to speak, Guishan says. Do you or don't you have a way, Yunyan says. And he, he says to Yunyan, I'm bereft of heirs. Wu Fang says, Master, STFU, you know, I'm being rude, but you should, you should shut up too. And Bai Zhang's reaction is, in an empty land, I shade my eyes and search for you in the distance. Meaning, you got it. You're the one I was waiting for. I've been searching for someone like you. So curiously, it is the guy who seems to be somewhat rude to his teacher, who, who gets what seems to be the, the strongest reception. <clears throat> and uh, this is what Matthew Sullivan has to say about, about these cases. And it's very, really, it's really meant a lot to me over the last several months. Zhui Du, compiler of the, the, the person who compiled the Blue Cliff record, uh, having sorted out 100 cases from many, many more that were presented in other collections. Uh, he chose all the cases in the Blue Cliff record with care, but there are a few stories that seem especially meaningful to him. In accordance with the dark principle, he doesn't identify these cases with words or directly command us to pay, to pay them heed. Rather, like an architect, he silently manages our sight lines, drawing our gaze to his destination through pattern, gap, and structure. We reach one of these focal points in the 70th, 71st, and 72nd cases, where Bai Zhang asks his three attendants the same question three times in a row. This dialogue originates in the Jingdi record of the transmission of the lamp, where it appears as a short, continuous, and somewhat innocuous passage. Zhuido broke this story into three parts, forcing our attention to each in turn. <clears throat> he did something similar with respect to the 63rd and 64th cases in the Blue Cliff record, where Nanquan kills the cat and Zhao Zhou places a sandal on his head. In other collections, this appears as one unified koan. Zhuido's rearrangement compels the reader to confront the cat's death in, on its own terms. What makes the dialogue of Bai Zhang and his attendants so important, it lays bare several problems lying at the heart of Zen. The impossibility of using words to pass along a wordless teaching. The tension between honoring a teacher 
and challenging a teacher, and the difficulty of maintaining an enduring heritage based on something as ephemeral as spiritual awakening. So let's see, I have to readjust my screen here so I can see as many people as possible. So what I would like to ask is for um, uh, three people to read these um, cases, all three of the cases, straight through. One is the narrator, one is Bai Zhang, and one is each of the students. So the narrator will say, Guishan, Wufang, and Yunyan attended together on Bai Zhang. Bai Zhang asked Guishan, and then the speaker for Guishan, you know, will will say those words and this and and so on. <coughs> so um, I hope that's clear. And I would like to ask. Well, again, it's it's hardest for the people in the zendo. I was going to ask the people in the zendo to read first, but uh, Rosemarie, may I ask if you would be the narrator, if you can unmute. Sure, sure. And Nelda, if you would be Baijiang. Yes. And Bridget, would you be the students? We'll switch up later. Right. But would you do that for this first pass? All right. All right. Okay. So. 70th case, Bajang fears for his heirs. Wishan, Wu Feng, and Yunyan attended together on Bajang. Bajang asked Guishan. With throat, lips, and mouth shut, how will you speak? Guishan said, For right now, Master, I would ask you to speak. Baijang okay. said, Baijang said, I do not refuse to speak, but I'm afraid I'd become bereft of heirs. 71st case, Baijang searches the distance. Baijang also asked Wu Feng, Am I Wu Feng? Yeah, you yes, you all, all this all the Oh, I beg your pardon. I beg yeah. your pardon. Baijang. With throat, lips, and mouth shut, how will you speak? Wu Feng said, Master, you too should shut it. Baijang said, In an empty land, I shade my eyes and search for you in the distance. 72nd case, Baijang is bereft. Baijang also asked Yunyan. With throat, lips, and mouth shut, how will you speak? Yunyan said, Do or don't you have a way? Baijang said, I am bereft of heirs. Okay, so uh, contrary to what I said before, I would like to have the same people just switch and take different roles. So Nelda, would you be the narrator? Rosemary, would you be Baijang? No, I'm sorry. Bridget, would you be Baijang? And Rosemary, would you be the three senior students? Reading straight through. Okay. Weishan, Wufeng, and Yan. Yun Yan attended together on Baishan. Baishan asked Guishan. With throat, lips, and mouth shut, how will you speak? 
Wishan said, For right now, Master, I would ask you to speak. Wishang said, I do not refuse to speak, but I'm afraid I would, I'd become reft of heirs. Case 71st case, Baishang searches the distance. Baishang also asked Wu Feng. With throat, lips, and mouth shut, how will you speak? Wu Feng said, Master, you too should shut it. Baishang said, In an empty land, I shade my eyes and search for you in the distance. 72nd case. Baishang is bereft. Baishang also asked Yunyan. With throat, lips, and mouth shut, how will you speak? Yunyan said. Do or don't you have a way? Baishang said. I am bereft of heirs. Thank you. That was wonderfully done. Uh, I want to ask if there's any reaction any thoughts that have emerged from sharing this? Anything that might have shifted as you heard them read in different voices or or if you were among the, the readers, anything that shifted for you? Well, Bridget. From the 71st to the 72nd, Guishan, you know, is saying, I'm afraid I'd become bereft of heirs. And in the 72nd case, he said, I am bereft of heirs. So I'm, so whatever happened in the 71st case must have made him perceive that. And I guess it's because he was asked, <clears throat> you know, his student Wu Fang, because of what he Wu Fang, but I'm confused and mystified by that. The, that is something that it struck me as well. It's like, shouldn't Wu Fang have come at the end? I mean, it seems like uh, Yunyan should go second. Uh, and uh, I've spoken about Yunyan many times in talks, and I'm, he's my favorite of the old masters. He, he's the guy that every does always does everything wrong, and people ignore him his whole life until finally he becomes a great master, and he teaches... Dongshan and gives him the, the great parting lesson. Just this is it. Um, but it is weird that having said in the middle, oh, you're the one I've been waiting for. Then he says to Yunyan, I am bereft of heirs, meaning what? I that like Guishan and, and uh uh Wufang didn't mean anything to him. I don't I, I don't understand that at all. However, uh, I want to suggest a, a, a different thing here, uh, which is, and I, I'm going to ask Joan and Kim and Anne to be able to read. So you may need to step forward to be able to read. Joan, while we're yes. stepping forward, I, I just wanted to throw something onto what you and Bridget were saying, and I thought... Well, isn't that how life is? We get an insight and then we, we go back. Good point. And, you know, it, it cycles yeah. around like that. We need reminders all the time. Yeah, even if you're a great master who taught yeah. hundreds of, of important students like Baijong. Exactly. And Baijong was a really fierce teacher. Um, 
he uh, it is said that the that uh, the the students who were with him were not allowed to lie down for forty years. <laughs> So I guess that was the extent of his teaching career. Okay, you guys. Anne, I would like you to be the narrator. Uh, Kim, I would like you to be Baijiang. And Joan, I would like you to be the senior students. Uh, and the difference is that um, I want the narrator to change the name Baijong to be Peg and Flint. Okay. So we are we're doing this dialogue as a dialogue between Peg and Flint. And then the, the students uh, who are responding are doing so in their own voice. Okay? No, wait a second. So Instead of saying Baijiang fears for his heirs, I'm supposed to say Peg and Flint fear for their heirs? Yes. Okay. And then the student is Joan. And so Joan is answering three times. Right. Okay. That's Joan. I mean, okay. you're, you're, you're saying these words, but you are not inhabiting an ancient person. This is you right now, speaking these words. And the same for Kim, as by Zhang, you're still, well, you're you're gonna be speaking Kim as Peg and Flint. So you're speaking those words as if you were our senior teachers, even though you're not gonna name yourself that. Okay, is that is that clear? Let's try it. Okay. Not clear. All right. Seventieth case. Peg and Flint fear for their heirs. Joan attended on Peg and Flint. Peg and Flint ask Joan. With throats, lips, and mouth shut, how will you speak? Joan said, for right now, Peg and Flint, I would ask you to speak. Peg and Flint said, I do not refuse to speak, but I'm afraid I'd become bereft of errors. 71st case, Peg and Flint search the distance. Peg and Flint also ask Joan, with throat, lips, and mouth shut, how will you speak? Joan said, Pig and Flint, you too should shut it. Peg and Flint said, In, in, a, I'm sorry. in an empty land, I shade my eyes and search for you in the distance. Great, okay. So uh, please, Joan and Kim, switch for the last case. Okay. Okay. 72nd case, Peg and Flint are bereft. 
Peg and Flint also ask Kim. With throat, lips, and mouth shut, how will you speak? Do or don't you have a way? Peg and Flint said, we are bereft of heirs. That was tough. <laughs> so I noticed, if I can speak, I noticed in that um, telling that Peg and Flint are not saying, in the 70th case, Peg and Flint are not saying, I am bereft of heirs, but he's, they're just worried. I'm afraid I'd become if I spoke. And I hadn't really noticed that before. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what and, and Bridget was speaking to that before as well, that he he's just worried at the beginning, but at the end he's announcing, I I am bereft. And uh, so let me ask, anybody have any reaction to shifting that from ancient speakers to the voices of our own teachers? Uh, noticing the fact that our teachers have moved away and changed their relationship with us? It was really powerful, Joan. Yeah, it was for me. It, was, it had more meaning for me because I can, you know, the fragility and of the Sangha then becomes, <clears throat> rises in my mind. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, Nelda? Um, and I want to add the responsibility of teachers. And as I've, oh, it just when I, when I heard their concern over being bereft of heirs and speaking and sharing the Dharma and doing that with, with all, all of our wonderful practices that we have, our precepts, just, uh, the, the Eightfold Path and all, and yet knowing all the time that words are slippery and sometimes that's all we have to share the Dharma and knowing that the Dharma can't be captured in words, I just, that overwhelming responsibility just really, it's still with me. It's just like, oh, um, the sense of what you teachers and we as students slash teachers carry when we carry the Dharma. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was very poignant for me to make that shift. And uh, this is the, I, I will say, this is the first time a koan has ever come alive for me in this way. To say, oh, this, this is speaking to something that's important to me right now in my life. So I want to read an extended uh, commentary from, um, from Matthew Sullivan. Uh, before the end. And uh, it's from a different case. It's from case number 11, which he translates as Wang Bo's dreg swilling bozos. That's how he regards, Wang Bo calls his students dreg swilling bozos. So he writes, there's no such thing as a Zen teacher. There's nothing to teach. There are no secrets. There are no shortcuts. The hunt for the right teacher reinforces the view that the teacher has something that the student must ingest. But every time a student approaches a teacher with a hungry mind, he's only sitting down to a meal of wrappers and rind. 
Every time a teacher gives a talk in hopes of introducing new insights to his listeners, he's serving up hair and grease. Teaching is premised on the false assumption that teacher and students are two different things. Teacher and student are not two. This is not a matter of mystical union or deep devotion. It is a simple reality. The unity, the unity of teacher and student is so fundamental to, to, to Buddhism that it has a name. This name is Sangha. Sangha is the Sanskrit word for assembly. It is the word that the Buddha gave to his community of monks, and now it means any group of people who gather together to practice the Buddha's Dharma. The teacher is part of the Sangha, but only a part. The real teacher is the entire Sangha. Being part of, of a community of practitioners helps keep our practice on the rails. It grounds our solitary experiences on the meditation cushion in the hurly-burly of how we treat other people and how they treat us in return. The Sangha is so important that I would say that entering the Sangha is what makes you a Zen Buddhist. How else could it be? Zen Buddhism does not require that you believe anything. It does not require that you be baptized or that you take a special set of vows. It does not even require you to practice meditation. I know plenty of Zen Buddhists who avoid meditation like a hole in the sidewalk. <laughs> Zen lives in the Sangha like fish lives in water. Meditation can only come alive through relationships, conflicts, and exchanges. This means that the human failings <clears throat> of individual Sangha members enhance rather than undermine the teaching capacity of the Sangha as a whole. As my teacher Lama Tara would tell me, a Sangha is like a sack of potatoes where the potatoes get cleaned by knocking the dirt off each other as the bag jostles and the contents collide. Helping and sharing within a community, merging your interests with the interests of those around you is literally the way to become one with the universe. The Sangha is the highest form of practice. So I think that's pretty great. It's certainly inspiring to me. And, 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 and it comes at a time when our Sangha is facing many challenges. How will we be able to continue? Our teachers live in different places. They have taken different a, a much different stance than they used to have with regard to meeting with us, to being present with us, to sharing their teachings with us. And, um, and conflicts have arisen and difficulties have multiplied uh, for all of us. And there's a real question of how Appamata will be able to continue for the future given its current financial situation and other other demands that are being made on the group. And um, to me, it's inspiring to remember Matthew, Matthew Sullivan is writing here that this is the necessary, this is, this is the framework where the necessary work of our own spiritual path can take, can take shape and, and would not be able to take shape as fully or as well if we were just practicing on our own, you know, that we need each other in the same way that potatoes in a bag need 
each other to knock the dirt off. You know, that's a, a wonderful metaphor, I thought. Um, so to circle back, you know, there's a, there's, here's Baijiang saying to Guishan, I'm, I could talk, but I'm afraid I will lose my airs. And then to poor Yunyan, he's like, oh, you really messed up. I, I know I'm bereft of airs. But Guishan found, was the teacher of Linji who founded the Rinzai school, what is now known as the Rinzai school. Yunyan taught Dongshan and Dongshan taught Kaodong and they were the founders of the Kaoshan school of, of uh, Chan, which became the Soto Zen school in Japan. So, and, and there's actually no direct lineage from Wu Feng, the guy who got the most praise from his teacher. So teachers can be wrong about the most fundamental question, like whether or not they have errors. And the, the answer to whether or not a person has errors is, does the Sangha live? Does the, do the teachings live through the, the, uh, the teachings and experience and, and loving connection of the people who follow? So, I, like I say, I feel luck, very lucky to be able to share this with you. And I, I hope it's meaningful to you as it has been for me to participate in this. And I love all the readings. Thank you so much. Rosemary? Joel, thank you so much. And yes, it's so relevant specifically right now to our community. Um, I would love to, I have the books, yeah. but I thought that what the commentary, um, Sullivan's commentary, would be so wonderful for us to all have, because it is so inspiring. Um, I don't know if there would be a way to um, to do that, but um, yeah, it just it just tracked so well, and um, I thought, wow, if you know the sangha is based on all this bumping up, we're really in good shape. We've got plenty to work with. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much, Joel. I have a question. Yes. So I'm wondering, I'm not at all sure that I agree with your, and I suppose that means Sullivan's interpretation of the 71st case. I'm not at all sure that the saying, in an empty land, I search for you in the distance, means good for you, you got it. Um, or you go ahead of me, you're great or anything like that. And I'm wondering what the other, what Cleary's translation of the Blue Cliff Record, if that, if those commentaries support Sullivan and your idea that that 71st case is saying, okay, yeah, this is, this is a good answer. I uh, thank you for a great question. And uh, yes, that is Sullivan's interpretation, which I'm adopting. But when I first read it, I didn't, you know, it was just like, here's a metaphor of somebody scanning the horizon. Is he really even answering 
what Wu Fang said, you know, I don't know. Um, or is he or is he off somewhere else, you know? Uh Thomas Cleary uh in he he quotes a commentary which is again very poetic and hard to follow for me, but he says that Guishang, people think that Guishang got it wrong, but no, Guishang didn't get it wrong, and he's he's climbing the great cliff right now, and all, all kinds of metaphors like that. Uh, wow. and, then, and then he goes on to say, yeah, Wu Fang was recognized by Bai Zhang. Um, and, and, then, and then everybody says, what an idiot Yunyan is. Um, and uh, that, uh, you know, I can, I can copy that out and, and share that. But um, the, um, tell me what you, how you would, rephrase um, something that's different from what Matthew Sullivan writes? Well, I'm really impressed that the sub K-70, the teacher says, I, I'd speak, but I would, I may become, I'd become bereft of errors. And in the 76, Second case, he's saying, I am bereft of errors. To me, that indicates, okay, all three of you missed it. Um, and if I had to say what I might take from the 71st case, the teacher's answer or response to Wishan. Uh, was, I don't see this, <clears throat> you, I don't see anybody. I'm searching for you, but I'm not connecting. You're not connecting with me. Okay, and I, I, pardon me for breaking in, but that's that's in line with my initial reaction be, before reading and taking as authoritative Matthew Sullivan's interpretation. So thank you for making that very important point. So I was reading another, uh, I was also reading about koans in uh, Joan Sutherland's book, In Forests of Every Color. And I can't remember, I, I didn't copy out the quote, but she says, and the, the, you know, we, the most familiar koan is the one, what is the sound of one hand? And that, that uh, you know, as in English, it has come to us as what's the sound of one hand clapping? And she says, that's a riddle, but what the sound of one hand, what is the sound of one hand is an open prairie sky. That it, that it's totally different. And I, I think that there's, there's um, that what you're pointing to is something that I, you know, was treating at least partially as a riddle and uh, that is that is much more open than I was pointing to. So thank you. Lynn? Yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I had a, you know, this whole idea about Cohen's is you you like you sort of live with them for a while, and some insight comes uh, up from somewhere. And it's not necessarily a, a logical thing. So I had an insight about the second 
time, uh, three were red. Something sparked in my brain. I don't know where it came from, but um, I, I had a different thought for a number, for, for maybe the whole thing, I'd have to study it, but for sure the third one. Um, you know, and I think we have to pay attention to the question asked. The question asked in that one was, do you or don't you have a way? And he answered, I am bereft of heirs. And, the, and all of a sudden I thought, that's his way. Mm. And I'm not sure I quite can, can follow up on that, but that's where I started to get this insight. He's telling it, well, that's his way, I'm bereft of heirs. And I don't know if it's a comment on his heirs or not. Maybe he's thinking, um, that's my way. I am bereft of heirs. It has something to do with bereft of heirs. And, and that he's somehow living his life as if he is bereft of heirs. And that might reflect in his teaching. If you're just teaching so you can have heirs, well, that's not really insight stuff. It's, it's like, you gotta be like this. And you got to be like that. So anyway, I, I don't know where I'm going with that, but that's just that's just sort of the beginning. Uh, and then I also thought, <laughs> I am bereft of heirs. Mm. It's I. Uh, there's no I. And then when you had Peg and Flint, we are bereft of heirs. Well, who who are we? Mm. Anyway, I I don't know where I'm going with all that, but I sometimes I think we have to get beyond the what it sounds like he's saying, except I realize this is a modern translation. And so we understand it a little better. We kind of can see that um, what what Sullivan is trying to show us as opposed to what we might individually get from a Cohen. I'm very grateful for that. Thank you. Uh, Joan, I see your hand up. Um, I, oh, you? no. Uh, well, I was so inspired by what Sullivan wrote, and I wish I could remember all my feelings, but um, what I heard was he is describing Avamada. And people, when they talk about Avamada, they talk about the love that they feel there that they don't see other places and that we engage with each other and we learn together and we have questions and are curious. And I just felt like this beautiful description he gave was just a perfect description of Akamala. Just wanted to share that. Thank you. I would say certainly of our aspiration and of our, of our ongoing um, conflicts and difficulties, and not losing sight of the fact that those are that those are the path for us. Whit had a question here in the sendo. Whit, do you want to come up to be on camera or just speak from there? Uh, do I do that at the yeah, you just in the chair? My legs will not be asleep for a moment. Uh, good morning, everyone. And Joel, thank you. Uh, this was, I think it was very instructive to add the uh, peg and flank pieces and just go through it several times. 
And I think that at that moment, I could feel this, like I, the word that you used was poignant, but uh, I would say I, I mirrored that and there was a feeling of sort of grief. Mm. And, uh, the, you know, the grief at that sort of separation, uh, but also sort of a feeling of calling feeling of their calling and feeling like have i heard the call mm. and and so that is something that i think that that one of the central lines in the piece for me was the one about if i shaved my an empty land i shaved my eyes and, and i am searching for you because there's no eyes to me, that's sort of a parallel for there's no thought, there's no rational. This is just like a pure, uh, not a pure, but a, a land of open, uh, that other ultimate in the ultimate, in that ultimate space. I want to search for you there. Mm -hmm. So to, to, echo what Joan you said is just like I felt like that's kind of the the milieu to to set oneself into and then it's like stepping into the ultimate and listening to there's this call this call for us to step forward for me to step forward is how I felt it really I mean I you know I just felt like I just looked down and I felt really sad because for a moment because I was thinking, wow, have I stepped forward here? And so, uh, but then like this commentary that you gave of, uh, I think it was Cleary or Sullivan, I can't remember where he was talking about the Sangha and just feeling, ah, yes, okay. The Sangha is so important and it's just like reconnecting to that. And, you know, I felt like I wasn't connected there for a while as much as I would like to be. So. It was just a calling back, sort of like the bell was a calling back to being here, being with each other. And uh, so thank you very much for this. I appreciate it. And that's kind of how it touched me, so. Thank you, Will. I kind of wanted to echo also what Joan said, um, that this was such a um, Apamata Dharma talk you know, in the sense that um, to me, Apamada's mission has always been ener energetic care of one another. Um, and, you know, for me, I started um, Apamada at the beginning of the pandemic. So I never knew Peg or Flint. So I didn't have that attachment per se, you know, those teachers. And, and it was never, it, it didn't really matter to me that they moved away. Um, because I felt nourished by the teachers already there. And so, um, yeah, that's just what it brought up for me. And also, also, it's funny that when you said, um, you know, who knows what will happen to Apamata, you know, especially the financial circumstances, I got that instant like fight or flight uh, emotion. Um, but then, but it kind of went away after a little bit when I thought about, you know, taking care of one another and that whole Sangha centric 
uh, aspect of uh, Appamata. That was just my reaction. Thank mm -hmm. you. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. I wanna say again, thank you to everybody for saying the more than half of things that I should have said, that I wanted to say, and that I'm totally in agreement with uh, for, for all the things that you brought forward that were so important. Really deepening well beyond what I had to share. So thank you. So I'm not seeing any other hands raised or comments to be shared. So let us go to our closing ceremony at this time. And again, please accept my deep thanks. <laughs>